You're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. This is Chris Evans, and today I'm joined by Gina Minx, or Gina Rosenthal, or perhaps we should just call you Gina, like Madonna. Just have one name, Gina. What do you think? Yeah, I like that. Let's just let me just be Gina. Just be Gina. That sounds good. Government names are so old-fashioned, you know. They are. Aren't they? <laughs> so anyway, whatever you want to call yourself, take ten seconds just to introduce yourself in case people haven't um, uh, come across you before, and tell us what you do. Oh, okay. Hey, I'm Gina. Right now, properly Rosenthal was Minks. I'm probably going back to that soon. I have done product marketing for different infrastructure companies for the last 10 years, been in the industry for about 20. And so I decided I wanted to do product marketing as a service. And that's what I started a, a little agency and I do product marketing as a service, just little, whatever bits of product marketing people need from creating entire um, messaging docs to campaigns, to advising, whatever people need, I do that. Perfect. And we've known each other for, gosh, quite a long time. Early, early, <laughs> two, early 2010s, probably, that sort of time, yeah. maybe a bit before. But you, you've, you've worked for all the big guys, Dell, you know, VMware, that sort of, that sort of infrastructure type um, companies, but obviously um, with a wider focus than just that, but, you know, as, as examples of what you've done before. Um, and are you focusing on anything in particular these days? I, I ask that really because we're going to talk about the idea of cloud, and, uh, you know, whether you're just covering that as one area or whether you're covering a bit more. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit more. Um, doing infrastructure as code, doing the modernization issues, that kind of thing with companies. But doing it kind of from a different angle, I think, than people would normally think. I'm not doing it from the technologist angle per se, but I'm helping marketers understand what's going on in the industry. So people that may not have um all the baggage we carry as techies but um to be able to explain it to someone that they can support their audiences you you have to know what's going on yeah and i think the reason it's really good to have a conversation today and what the topic and specifically we'll cover in a second is whenever we talk there's always another angle that you say that i go oh yeah oh yeah because I tend to be a bit blinkered looking down one very much. Well, I think you told me off for it the other day, actually, um, for always taking the t technology route, perhaps, because that's, you know, that's the most obvious thing for me to see. And sometimes stepping back from it a little bit sometimes and thinking it like the cultural side of things or other sorts of aspects can have a real impact. So it's always great to talk to you from, you know, from that aspect, because it gives a lot more context to the to the discussions that we tend to have, which is always uh good. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate your stuff too, because you are, you like tie, I love how you tie the history and, and, you know, kind of uh, balance things out and get rid of the hype. I like that a lot. Maybe I should write a book. Yeah, well, no, I haven't got time for that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's move on very quickly and talk about our conversation for today. And we're going to talk about uh, marketing in terms of cloud and specifically the use of the term super cloud, because this seems to be emerging as a concept as an idea as a definition and it's very difficult to determine whether this is just coming about because of hype whether there's actually anything to this and if you're a customer listening to these conversations and we get lots of people who are by the way that are end users who do listen to what we um, what we say to help them formulate what their plans are you might be looking at this and thinking 
is this another buzzword, another marketing term? You know, do I have to now somehow elevate myself to another level of understanding what to do in a super cloud or, is, you know, or is it just a buzzword? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I think it would be good to get an idea of sort of your context on this and what you think, first of all, Gina, that would be really useful. Yeah, the idea of super cloud, I understand it very much from a marketing perspective. As a marketer, we had to talk about digital transformation for the past 10 years, even when there was no sense to it. There was no technical backing to it. We just made stuff up because it was a marketing term. But uh, if you look at where we are now, there is a huge transformation going on in the industry. And it is going to cloud and you use clouds for different reasons. And then you have different clouds have different services. Um, you might get attached to a cloud because of your relationship to a vendor, or because it provides certain things that you need, or that's where your developers got started. So that's where you're stuck. So what happens if, you know, if we're, if we're looking at the end goal being having an application that can be spun up in the best place for the best reasons, will the entire application be spun up in a cloud? Will the application be spun up in a couple of clouds? Do you have a backup cloud for one? And why can't if everybody's doing pretty much the same thing? It's just these abstracted infrastructures that uh, a different provider takes care of a large part of it. Why can't you have an overarching set of rules for the cloud and call that the super cloud? And here's what it is. So um, that's what I understand um, the intent of the issue to be. Um, but where I think the problem is, if you go back to the whole idea of digital transformation, everything has changed. The way that we are going to build architectures for developers and software engineers to deploy um, workloads has changed. It's not even in the middle of changing. There are people that are doing this idea that you have a pipeline that you declaratively say, I need infrastructure that can run a web server. And then it just goes because you've coded it all in the background with infrastructure as code. People are doing that and taking the different segments of pipelines and being able to use those in different clouds. They're able to check in all the different changes they make and make that part of their CI/CD pipeline, the overall workload application pipeline. So we're not to the part anymore where we have we build a little bit over here and we build a little bit over here and then we build a little bit over here and now we have to build a big old thing on top of it to make it work we're to the part where it's like we've got all of these infrastructures that i have the availability to spend the things that i need to run this workload on these different infrastructures so i'm going to take advantage of everything when i need it the best time and i'm going to do that with infrastructure as code so it's a different concept than just build build over here in kind of isolation it's you want to be able to um, work distributively dis distribute that workload and that pipeline of, of what's the best from a financial point of view a technical point of view all of it yeah i, I was thinking back to sort of my um i was going to say early days not even early days later days middle days middle middle-aged years in computing probably is a good way to describe it and that was at a time when I was going to say client server, but that sounds makes me sound really old. Client server, um, <laughs> but when things like you know the Sun equipment was out, and we had like the, those mid-range machines, and we had Solaris, and we had all sorts of other things, and inevitably, if you worked in a very large organization, you ended up with tons of stuff. You had somebody would make a good decision and go, "We're going." on the Sun platform with this. We're going to build an E25K or whatever it was, you know, the, the massive Sun mainframe type things. And you would get different uh, systems being built for different reasons. And sometimes that was because they had the right 
performance or throughput. If you go back even further to the 80s, you had things like System 88, which was obviously the tandem non-stop stuff, and you know they were they were built for particular reasons. But we had discrete hardware products that separated us. And now we're in a position where we have discrete clouds that are separating us, where we're looking at it and saying, actually, like you said, I want to go down into Google because they've got the best of this. And inevitably, our applications become composed of multiple different segments because naturally, over time, people try different things, people get annoyed by one vendor or another, they move on to something else, all sorts of reasons why you end up with lots of different technologies. I, I guess I would look that, at that and think, that to me is just multi-cloud. That's just me using everything that's available to me. And I'm not quite sure why we need this new super cloud to differentiate ourselves from multi-cloud and whether there is a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. So I work, one of my clients, I guess, is it okay? I hope this is okay that I mentioned this. So I'll, I'll start again. Oh, as long as they're okay. okay, you know, you can tell us that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Right, cool. <laughs> so one of my clients is Reckon and they, um, uh, they have an infrastructure as code platform. And the idea is that you can switch and you can do this, you, you have this distributed nature of your infrastructure and it can, it, they, you build pipelines of the different pieces of, of, of code that you need to build out different infrastructures. You can inventory everything that's available for you in your on-premises environment. You can build and then inventory whatever you build in the different cloud environments. So if you want to, run Terraform script that you got really nailed down on-prem in one of the clouds, you can do that. You can, they have a, a mechanism where you can switch from one to the other. You can have this golden, here is how we always build servers, no matter where they are. Now we might have to change a few technical things between here and there based on what's provided. And we might have to change the naming convention a little bit between here and there. But this is our golden standard. And if you're going to build developers, you're going to pull this out and you're going to from the from the pipeline and you're going to build with this this particular if you're using Terraform, you use Terraform, using Docker, however you want to do it. But that ability and think about that of what you said, like because you're able to if you're able to bring up infrastructure as code just in general, you know, you're able to write a code. So it's kind of a la kickstart, but like not because it's so intelligent and it can do things that I don't can't even believe I could imagine. I wouldn't even be able to believe it, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, but but just just think about it. if you've ever done anything with Kickstart. Kickstart is horrendous because it, you, it's just like the, it's the most annoying thing when you you think, oh, I'll I'll build a virtual machine and or I'll build a physical machine and I'll kickstart it and I'll I'll put all the parameters in and then it'll just be great. And then you realize you've miscoded something or you've done it differently <laughs> or the documentation isn't actually accurate because nobody's really maintaining it properly. So then you sort of into experimentation mode and then eventually you get something that works and you're like, right, I'm not going to touch that ever again because now it's working. And I, I would hope that the modern infrastructure as a code is a bit more resilient than the way we would have done it with um, Kickstart. Well, yeah, I mean, like I never coded Kickstart from start. I always copied somebody's and, yes. <laughs> right and then you then you do that experimentation to make sure that okay that didn't work let me try again and then what would always suck is um you'd get a new this is on pro stuff you'd get a new set of servers and there would be different drivers or there would be one little bitty change in the server yep. infrastructure that didn't match your kickstart yeah so modern is much different and that's kind of the whole idea because think about how often cloud infrastructures change their services 
and change things. And I think Terraform has a little bit of a problem with that. And so the whole idea, so if you go from that perspective, infrastructure as code can be super duper brittle, right? So like if, if I code it one way, there has to be a way to update it. But what if I'm able to code it one way, check it in, oh, something changed, let me test it, take, take it out, test it, check it back in as new, tell everybody to update, then we're good to go. So it's kind of this new, even that's a new paradigm. The whole idea of, of, of providing something to a developer to build, but using their methodology, which is we've got it in, the repository, just check it back out. Everything's going to work fine, even though it was broken two hours ago. Um, and, and thinking about like, how does that look when you're distributing things across different infrastructures, like different clouds? Maybe it's not even cloud. Maybe it's edge. We never talk about edge anymore. I think it's hiding in the background right now. I don't think edge really exists. I think it's a made up term for nothing. I'll that's a story for another day. I could go off on that for, forever, but I just look at it and think edge is just, just rugged computing for the, you know, for yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. particular purpose. Having said that, but... um, this week I'm writing a blog post, which actually sort of counters my own argument a little bit, because I think <laughs> there is an option or something in there. So maybe we will see some, but sorry, back to the conversation. But I think this is kind of the thing though. Like I think the intent behind having a term like super cloud is interesting and good. I think my my fear is from understanding how people are using different clouds and multi-cloud to get work done now, like it's not a pretend thing, is very is that a super cloud wouldn't make any sense because it's just an extra layer of extra stuff to explain. We're already in a position where we have a lot of ops folks, like, you know, if you're not using command line and building scripts and doing things if you're kind of more of a you've got everything you run is GUIs you're going to have a harder time getting into this new world supporting developers and engineer software engineers because that's where we need to go we need to go to a place where we understand what is a pipeline what is CICD how you know how do I pull something how do I why would I ever want to do that what how do how do I make it so that the developers have what they need but I can trust them that they're not going to tear everything down. Like they're really going to have to do this operations work to make things happen. And I think what's going to happen if you try to put another term on top of a super cloud that rules all the clouds you run, you're really missing the point is that we're kind of doing multi-cloud and through cloud and distributed cloud, whatever. You, those terms are way better than than super cloud. Yeah. I look at it and think inevitably, every time you put another shim layer over the top or you put another wrapper around something like that, you create a number of problems. So the first thing is, you probably it would be crazy to build something that spans multiple clouds at the same time. So because you've instantly created a dependency between two different things. So if you choose to do that, you wouldn't do that in something operationally sensitive. So you wouldn't have like your banking app having part of it in Amazon and part of it in Azure because if one of the or other of those broke, your banking app is down full stop. Okay. Now, I can see where you might say to yourself, okay, our production stuff is running in one cloud, but actually we've decided we can do some really interesting analytics over here, which isn't linearly dependent in terms of operational stuff on, on, on the actual production data. It sort of happens in parallel in the background. And we're going to push that data over to somebody else because A, it's cheaper, B, it's faster, C, they've got some great technology. And actually operationally, we see a real um, financial or agility benefit of doing that. And it doesn't, it doesn't sit on the critical path of our data in production. So if if it went down, 
it wouldn't take the production system with it. I can see that as a, as a logical um, thing to do. And in that sense, I can see, for want of a better term, a super cloud could be a practical thing. Because what you're saying is you're taking the best of both worlds, but you're not building necessarily dependencies into the process that says, if one of those breaks, I'm, I'm screwed and, and I've lost everything. You're saying, I could actually operate these independently still, but as a superset of all of the clouds that I've got access to, hence the term super cloud it's a superset rather than a sub you know um, it's a set of clouds together and that possibly could make sense and i would imagine a lot of people are probably doing that today but i don't have the evidence to back that up unless of course you do uh, i don't have hard evidence just i've heard <laughs> i've heard some things anecdotal is good yeah. enough yeah i don't know if anything specific but i've heard like exactly what you've said the other thing is different parts of the application being put and called or the other thing is that, that I have heard of is having development and test and dev well dev test and prod on in different areas potentially yeah. um, for the reasons you said right well you can say we used to do that though didn't we I mean oh, yeah. you think about it previously we would do uh, we'd, we'd always have like production machine we'd have had a development machine which would have been a, a cheaper lower cost server and we would have what you might have called UAT which would have been mm -hmm. where we would have done our user test and a lot of environments I worked in the UAT machine was also the DRT machine mm -hmm. so basically mm -hmm. if things all went um, went bad production died we'd fell over to the something. UAT machine which would be basically scrapped and then when uh, everything came back you just rebuild that you know it was sustainable that it, it was stateless enough that you could just blow it away and rebuild it if you needed to because it it was a copy of production in in a uat format obviously now we've got the ability not to have to go to that level and to try and save infrastructure but there's no reason why you can't have developers who are doing stuff on their laptop pushing it up to a cloud to use it to do some work and and do some testing before you put it wherever production is and like you say, yeah, you may be getting Azure credits and it would make much more sense just to use those. Yep. And I think the other thing that I've heard people doing is taking um, subsets of data and, and definitely using the cloud to do ML, AI type of work on the data, just to, to work the data to, to find different types of meeting in them um, so that they, they do that because it might not be possible to put the entire data set in the cloud because of data gravity but we're working on this piece of it. So we'll put some of that in the cloud and, and run the test on it. I mean, then the number one, um, this is the number one use case for most of getting people to the cloud in the first place is DR. So if you think about all of that data that is potentially sitting in a cloud someplace, that is your data. Um, that makes it very interesting to say, okay, I'm going to carve off this data from this point to this point with you know, the different parameters for my data scientist to go run and play with on the cloud using the clouds, um, really heavy, heavy, heavy duty servers um, and processes to, to run, do that work. Yeah. So both of those examples pointed to one common thing there. Okay. This is in my view. And I'll, I'll give you an example. The reason I, I say that is because I remember talking to, I think it was the uh, the lovely folks at Cloudian a few years ago, and they had a customer that basically would keep all of their data on premises, and this was all uh, genomic data. And what they used to do was they used to pr uh, process it, find out stuff, you know, they get a new bit of 
processing they could do to it to find something else out. And they used to push, push the images up into the, uh, into the cloud effectively as a read-only copy or whatever you want, however you want to describe it, run their process to do that and analytics, which was all batch effectively, so they could use interruptible um, you know, instances and things like that, so they weren't paying full price for it. And then the only thing that would come back down would be the results, which would be a lot smaller amount of data, so the egress charge for that wasn't very big. And then when they were finished, they'd delete the data in the cloud because they didn't need to pull it back because it was only sort of read-only. Read and they basically cycle around just processing more and more data that way and they could each time get some better insight onto the an analytics they did but they didn't pay egress charges very much they didn't have to buy the gpus or the technology and that whatever it was that got refreshed the next time they got the benefit of that but they kept the data so in the center of their cloud world was their data and similarly, I think other solutions do the same thing, where they say, actually, in reality, the key piece to this is the data and the compute and everything else is just stuff that sits around the outside. No, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of people are using that use case too. But the data is it. We, use, we lose sight of that because we think about what can we do to the data and how do we keep the data safe? But yeah. I think we lose sight of the fact that you know, if we start thinking about it as pipelines, it doesn't, you have to have a specific amount of stuff for it to run, but that is a part of a pipeline from infrastructure as code. And you think about you providing this pipeline to get the data, you know, you've run a pipeline to build the, the platform where the data can go wherever it needs to go. The same as applications, we would size them for whatever the workload was gonna be and for the performance, for the very best performance. Well, what if the performance is just like that example, that that performance has to happen in the cloud, but then you kind of break it down, you bring the other piece that I think is important for operators and, and operations people to understand is this whole new role of understanding how much something's going to cost and the cloud economics of things, right? So that's like vital to build, a, to build the best architecture, you have to understand the economics. That's a massive, massive topic that, you know, we could we could spend the next five years talking about FinOps and all the stuff that goes around it. I really don't think uh, it's really as understood as it could be. I think a lot of the time in our traditional environments, we didn't really understand the costs. I think a lot of the time TCO calculations were, were basically just hacked to make them look good so that people could justify the the purchase of technology and people didn't necessarily do very well on things like service catalogs and and the, the when they recharge people there was too much of the show back and not enough of the chargeback and as a result it was all about going tut, 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 you've used too much stuff not actually here's what it's really costing and we're putting the cost back to you as a line of business that's a massive challenge for any organization to implement but ultimately it is quite important to do properly. The cloud just makes that even more horrible because it's, I tell you, here's my comparison. Think of the last time you went to look for a mobile phone tariff. Now in the, in the UK, they sort of, they, or even a gas and electricity tariff, although we, we don't talk about that now with the current cost of fuel, but <laughs> they were always cut in such a way that, that you couldn't re make an easy comparison. So some would give you say more, more minutes, but less, you know, something else. Somebody else would give you something that rolled over every month. Somebody would give you something where when you were traveling abroad, you'd get, you know, cheaper calls 
others wouldn't. So you're having to look at every single tariff and say, well, what are my sensitivities around this tariff? So what do I need to think about? And as a result, your decision about how you look at things varies to somebody else. Similarly in the cloud, you know, your sensitivities, if you suddenly find you've been creating tons and tons of data and you've been dragging out and using it, you might have massive egress charges and then that's a big problem. Or a million and one other parameters, that's always the easiest example. So that whole FinOps thing is, is really tricky and it changes. So, you know, <laughs> you know it changes almost, you know, you get more business, that model changes. You get, you know, a new line of business, you now have to rethink it. It's really, really difficult to see how you could look at it and say that there's one overarching um, architecture that says, this is, this is my super cloud, this fits every single scenario. It's just too complex. Yeah, and, and that's not a bad, I think that's the whole problem I have with it, is underneath is too complex. And it's not a bad thing that it's too complex. And my, my worry is by saying, oh, we'll have a super cloud and that's where we're going. It's not where we're going. And we all have to start figure out where we fit in the new world and yeah. what we have to go learn to understand it. And it's going to be from the basics of how does everything work together to then, you know, as, and maybe developers will lead the way on this, right? If they start to think about this is how I want this application, this, this workload, this application to to work, we'll have to figure out how to make it work for them, you know, but we have to understand how to use all the best clouds to make a particular workload uh, perform the best that it can. And we're just, we're not with talking about a super cloud. We're not talking about learn the, you know, the fundamentals, you know, how things are Lego together. And, and that's very, you know, I know that's a very simplistic way of talking about current ways to build stuff, but but we have to know so much more on top of the knowledge we already have. That's kind of where I get a little worried, right? Because, yeah. you know, I'm definitely starting to think about, okay, what's my exit plan? <laughs> when do I get to sit on the beach and drink margaritas? Like, what, yeah. what does that look like? And I think a lot of us with the same concerns and the same experiences are, we're all gonna meet up on that beach and have margaritas, we're ready. Um, and it's not that far away, but how do we, how do we get ourselves thinking in the real, in, in, in a realistic view about how things should go together and how do we teach the stuff we know to the next gen that's coming along that is never going to have to feel the pain we felt in the data center, right? Mm. They're going to have a new pain and we, we need to help get them in a solid foundation where they're able to be analytical and technical and be real sysadmins and, and figure it out. Um, and I think simplifying it all is, is not going to do that. Yeah. Here's a couple of other things. Think about job titles. So we had developers and we had operations people, and then suddenly we have to have DevOps people because they seem to, you know, work together and that seems to be some sort of idea. You could say that whether that really is an SRE, who knows, but let's call it DevOps for now. And then suddenly we've got DevSecOps because now we have to put the security piece in because it's complicated. Have we created DevFinOps yet? Have we got those guys? The, I think they just developers. call them FinOps. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but surely there. a developer needs to understand the implications of the code they write into, to translate to what the cost might be if they code it incorrectly or if they use the wrong sort of sets of features or functionality. And 
is that just building us into a position where we just get, have got too complicated again and what we need to do again is just split the, those job titles out again and all we'll do is we'll just go back in yet another loop and guess what everybody will have separate jobs again just they won't be called storage guys and network guys they'll be called developers and the financial people and the operations people or yeah. something like that you know i think this is a hard thing um if i look at devops purist and of course, I love the idea of DevOps from from being an operator. Yes, I want developers to understand what they build and how to run it from the financial models, too. I mean, like, I think all of that's important. But if you talk to the real purist, what I've heard is them say, and maybe I've just misheard, but I don't know, is that they want the operators to all become developers. I don't think that's good. I'm not sure, you know, my, my question, I started asking people that say they're developers. Okay, I really, because I really am curious are you a software engineer or is a software engineer different than a developer? And all of them say that it's, that I've talked to so far, like a handful. So it's not a huge you know, survey. Um, no, that software engineers are something different, like a step up. That's where they want to get to in their careers. Yeah. And I look at DevOps and the whole idea of it. It just looks like another version iteration of ITIL of Six Sigma of all of it. It's a way to figure out why isn't everybody working together and going fast enough. Let's get this going, people. And um, the idea of it's awesome, but I think the implementation, implementation a lot of times is anti-ops, and I don't think that's good. I think that's pretty rough. Yeah, I worked with some, op with some operators who I wouldn't trust to um, make the coffee <laughs> even. Never mind, or couldn't find their own backside in the dark room or whatever the expression is. Um, uh, but. And I, I couldn't imagine those sort of people ever becoming software developers because they, they were wholly focused on the day-to-day -day of just getting stuff done. You know, um, yeah. that was a long time ago when we when we had things like printers, which I don't even think we have printers anymore, do we? I, th I don't know how things get printed anymore, actually. But, I have a printer. You know, <laughs> looking at tape, it. Tape drive. I'm, I'm talking about chain printers, like these massive oh. printers that we used to have that would just, you put a no, box of paper not. in the bottom of it and it'll be gone in like two seconds because it's printed. I've um, never seen that, so. Yeah. No, okay. You never, you, you never want to see a chain printer, ugly bit of technology. Um, talk about but, robot backup things. Those were, I have seen. Absolutely. And exactly. I hated there those things. And you were always stuck with it because nobody wanted to deal with it. And I've worked with those kind of ops people too. That, that, that's why we got so good at things is nobody else wanted to actually do the ops work, you know. Exactly. The number of times I went into an, um, a powder horn or one of the storage tech devices and, and somebody said, oh, we'll have to find the tape because it, it's lost the track of the tape. Um, and an audit was like eight hours stored at the library. And I go, oh, no problem, we'll find it. And you walk in and you're like going around the shelf and thinking, and you think you'll find the tape number. You just <laughs> never find the tape. And after about half an hour, you close it up and eventually accept that you're going to have to reaudit the library. But. Um, <laughs> So I can't see those people becoming, uh, you know, software developers, just like a lot of the software developers I used to know couldn't be bothered with the operational side of having to maintain and look after something and support it. So I've always seen that as a bit of a clash. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a, another way of things like ITIL or Six Sigma. Just, uh, we're just looking for a way to describe these sort of things. So yeah. let's, let's think about this in the real world and, and try and have a, an idea of what we think we should be doing rather than trying to think about the next big thing and whether something like SuperCloud is is just going to confuse things. To my mind, I just think 
technology should always just be adopted because you feel like it's the right thing to do, to use and you shouldn't be pushed to something like people say cloud first and i think oh, really um what, what's your reason for cloud first there's got to be a good reason why you're positioning like that otherwise you're doing it wrong so i think i would say first of all i wouldn't want to be pushed to do something just because the marketing message tells me i should do but obviously you know there's a there's a strong push from vendors to get you onto the next big thing isn't there well, you think about it, I think that's part of the problem too. You know, if I look at that from a marketing perspective, you if you come out with what you think is the next big thing, but your audience, you know, either doesn't want to go to the next big thing. Um, if you've just slapped the label on because they do want to go to the next big thing and you don't really do the next big thing, that's a bad thing. And you can market something, even what even if it is the next big thing and your audience wants it, if your sales team is still making money on the old stuff, until that gets fixed, they're going to sell your customers the old stuff. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it won't take on. It won't be adopted. Your sales team's going to sell what they're going to sell. So there's so many layers to that, right? Because if I think the thing that becomes the next big thing is something that solves a problem that the industry has. So we're in the middle of going to a new way of doing architecture, you know, a new way of building the architecture that supports workloads. And even the idea of workloads has changed, right? It's all changed. How do you know what definitions to listen to? Cause it's just me and you talking, who are we, you know, who's going to listen to us? It's like, yeah. what, right? So like, what, what are the best words to describe that? I'm always for like, go to the core. Let's just fundamentally describe what's happening and what can happen and what's good. When people get an understanding of that, that it is kind of this multi-cloud is that I think that is the right nomenclature. Um, our distributed platforms, I think that could be used as well. But once people come around to the idea of, okay, yeah, infrastructure is code. We've got to figure out how do we get onto this. And then it's very specific of the things that have to happen. Um, then you figure out you need a FinOps person, and that's a whole other thing. I don't know what's going to happen to that. But then what will happen is, once everybody's like, yes, that's what we've got to go do. Yes, it's a huge people problem. Don't think DevOps is going to solve that people problem. Something's going to have to solve the people problem. It might be the, whatever the tool is to whatever. the I don't think we've seen like what are the big adoption gaps yet because you've got people trying to figure out like what am I actually adopting and is this actually going to work for my data that we have to do that we make money with. And as, as people start adopting things, which they are doing that, then there's going to be these big holes and gaps to adoption. The next big thing is going to be whatever makes it easier to cross those chasms. So I don't think yeah. we're there because not enough people are adopting this whole idea of infrastructure as code as how we how we deploy applications now. I think also there's a lot of people in denial. So um, yeah. anybody who's adopting, say, VMware Cloud on AWS or Azure or GCP is in denial. They just they just want to push off the rewriting of their applications until another day. So what are they doing? They're outsourcing the infrastructure effectively to somebody else. And they're stepping aside and going, do you know what? Let's just give that guy the, the infrastructure challenge and we won't have it anymore. But you still have got it because a lot of those solutions aren't totally managed. It's not like you're buying, you don't buy, you go into those clouds and buy a VM. You buy, well, basically servers sitting in somebody else's data center. So we're, we're, we're sort of sort of messing the whole thing up to a certain degree as well as trying to transform. So it's difficult, I think, if you are 
sitting here at the outside were thinking, well, what on earth do we do? We do? I, I can only see that you have to accept that change is inevitable and change always happens. But you've really got to look at it and question the value of changing and not doing it because you think there's FOMO there and that you should all be called developers now and you should all be DevOps guys because everybody else is. I agree with that. Um, yeah, and I think there is a ton, it's a, gonna be a ton of work, but there's to refactor things. There are big, humongous organ banks. <laughs> there's like huge, the government that they're doing this. And I think that anybody who is, you know, in operations needs to just figure out where they can start learning things because we need the skills of people to help build this or else they're going to just outsource all the infrastructure. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing in general, but specifically for your organization and how your data is run, it might be really bad. You need people in there that understand how to support workloads on, on different environments. And we can do that, but we have to, there's a learning curve. I think that's where I get stuck with the marketers too. Marketers get told to say things and they don't even understand it. And now I'll see it. And I'll be like, nope, I don't understand this either. <laughs> so let's just deconstruct this for a minute and, and work backwards. Like, who do we talk to? Do we talk to the DevOps person? Is there a DevOps engineer? I don't even think that's a term. I'm not sure. So like there, there's all of this, you know, we've got this, they might have a pretty good product and who are they supposed to tell it to? And it's probably to a person that is, in denial and how do you market to a person in denial i don't even know so we're at a very interesting point in in the history of computing i think what we need is maybe super architects how about that <laughs> instead of instead of multi-cloud or hybrid architects or cloud architects we need super architects could we wear capes i i can find one I've got a cloakroom, so I'm sure I can find a, ca a cape somewhere. You know, wear capes and you know have a secret identities. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, what's the difference between a cape and a, a cloak? Like a cape, like a superhero wears. I think a cloak goes all around you, right? I think I think that's the difference. I think a cape is just something that hangs out the back, whereas a cloak enrobes <laughs> yeah. you totally. So, slightly different, but you know, I suppose you could use either and. <laughs> One of them is obviously got to be big enough to, to put across a puddle so you can walk across. <laughs> so that's, a, that's another thing that you do with, with, I think, with cloaks and not with capes, probably. Uh, see, I'm not that well versed on all of that. I'm from Florida, so <laughs> yeah, you, we, don't, you, we don't really have those in Florida. <laughs> no, you, you have either puddles or you have like 10 feet of water, don't you? Nothing yeah, yeah, in between. Yeah. 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 Well, so what conclusions have we reached? What can we actually say to people that have any use for what we've talked about? I feel like um, don't believe anybody's hype about what's going on as we transform. And if it seems too, too easy and too constructed, it, it probably is not matching the reality of things. And the best thing to do is to just start digging in to looking the people are starting to publish stories. I mean, I think the first people that actually did this were people that typically did not share what they do, but I'm starting to hear more and more stories out there. Like look for those use cases and see how people are doing this um, because it's real and it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing that it's complicated, yeah. you know? I agree. I think don't be dragged into thinking that you'll somehow you're missing out by not doing something. You really need to be genuinely looking to see whether any of these definitions or terms or whatever they happen to be have real value and whether they've got real value for your business and if they haven't you shouldn't be dragged into it so that's that's my opinion 
yeah, you got to do the work. And as ops people, that's what we do. You got to figure it yeah. out. Absolutely. So if people would like to follow up with you and um, ask you questions on the topic we've talked about or anything else, really, you know, what, where would you like them to head? Uh, if you want to go to my website, which is digital sunshine solutions with an S.com, um, that's a great place to understand what I do and um, love to chat with you about any kind of help you need along the product marketing lines. Or if you just want to chat about stuff, my Twitter is gminks, G-M-I-N-K-S. Perfect. Oh, can you not just get Gina? Can we try and find who's got just Gina? <laughs> See if we can get it renamed, and then there wouldn't be an issue. We'll have to look that up afterwards. Um, I'll put that link on the website so that we've got it, and then make, make sure everybody can see that so they don't have to um, try and remember. But Gina, for now, thank you. Really great conversation, and look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I love it. You've been listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast from Architecting IT. For show notes and more, subscribe at hybridcloudpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Architecting IT or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Architecting IT. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. <laughs>